hey, all there on the internet listening on the intertubes or whatever that senator called it a few years ago. This is the No Frills Wolves podcast. It's one of those things you can do on the internet, and we do it uh, every, I don't know, a couple weeks or so here. This is our 33rd episode where we get into the the cool analytics of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm Justin Chardon here with Ben Beacon. Ben, how are you? Chip this fine day. I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's the day before the election, so I think uh, everybody's <laughs> just looking to get that over with. Yep, yep. <laughs> we'll know tomorrow, but for now, it's observations on a one and four start for the Wolves. We're going to go over that. What are some quick hits on the uh, what we've seen from certain individual uh, individuals on this team? What the deal is with the third quarter? What we've seen overall? Uh, that we're going to get to the Gorgie Jang four-year contract extension that came, um, I think, just before the second game. And then in honor of the extension, something that I've been looking forward to doing for a while, but you wanted to give it a little bit of time to breathe, but uh, a year, unfortunately, after Flip Saunders passed away, we're going to look at uh, the moves that he was able to make in those first three years and see what uh, what that looks like in a little bit in retrospect, uh, even though we haven't determined exactly what's going to look like ultimately. I think we've got enough distance that we can start to make some judgments on that. So that's the lineup for this week. Um, let's start with a one and four ups, uh, a one and four start to the season. Now, I, you know, I will admit that I was, I took the sl- the somewhat optimistic view of how this team was going to do, and I think what I summed up is how good they were going to be, and then how quickly would they be able to do that consistently? And I think what what I've seen on the court so far is they look really, really good for flashes at a time in, in just about in every game so far but they cannot sustain it, particularly in that third quarter. What have you seen? I would agree with that. With the possible exception of the Thunder game, they, they had a couple of okay stretches, but there was, wasn't much prolonged. But especially those first you know, those first couple games, I think, that, that come to mind where they built such large leads. Um, and and on the one hand, it's, it's impressive to build such large leads to then in turn – you know, if you're losing, you have to blow a huge lead. It's it's a it's obviously great that you built the lead and, and potentially worse that you gave it away. But it, you know, if they were horrible all the way around, they wouldn't be building these giant leads either. So um, I do think that there's it's there's some flukiness in there. Um, obviously, no team's going to be as bad as the Wolves have been in the third quarter for you know any one particular quarter over the over the long haul. Um, so you know, you you figure out you get a little bit better in the third and, and, you know, it all balances out a little bit. I think that, um, I think it's so hard to draw much of conclusions this early in the season, other than to say, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time, even with a really good coach and a good roster to get used to one another. Um, and you know, it's, it's disappointing cause it's a, it's a pretty, you know, what three of the four teams they lost to the nuggets, the Kings and the Grizzlies are teams that, the Wolves need to be competitive with mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to be fighting with for the seventh and eighth spots in the Western Conference. Um, so to lose, um, granted, three close games, um, but to lose in the way that they have has been pretty disappointing. Agreed with that. Yeah, you're right. It hasn't been the strongest competition. And the one really good team that they played, they got killed by. Now, there's something to that where that, I think they were just coming off that Golden State loss. Yeah. And that, you know, the, <laughs> That's the last game that I would want to be playing Oklahoma City is right after that. The first time uh, Russell yeah. gets to play Durant again and Durant humiliates him. Uh, R- Russell, I think, at least he was before that game, he was above 40% usage rate on the season. Yeah. For, using 40% of the team's uh, That's crazy. Uh, offensive possessions. No one has ever 
I think three players have ever gone above 38% for a season. So he's in uncharted territory there. Um, so, you know, to an extent, you can write that one off, but they were also pretty bad in the second half in that game. So I, I, I go back to the analogy with Zach Levine, when, where I would, I think you recall last year and even before that, before we were talking, I would always make the, the, the point that Levine was not looking great his rookie year, but he would have flashes where he would look really good. And it's, that's what I always look for early on with a player. And I think you can say the same about this team. They've got sure. a ton of talent. And they, they, they look a lot better for longer stretches than Zach did his rookie season. But I think the principle is the same. It's just a question of how long they can put together. Uh, because I think they have such a great work ethic, they've got good coaching. I think it's just a matter of time before they put that together on a consistent basis. But who knows how long that will be. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that, that there was a wrench thrown in things with Rubio's injury. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not – I think we've talked a lot on this podcast and really at Duncan with Wolves general about um, how valuable Rubio is to the team. And, and so <clears throat> clearly we, we think that he holds a lot of value, but even, even if he wasn't significantly better than Chris Dunn at this stage, anytime you take the starting point guard out away from the team after two games and insert a rookie into the starting lineup and bump everybody up a spot, you know, point guards probably the position toughest to fill in, you know, like that because you get, you get used to the unit you're playing with. And, and Dunn is suddenly playing with a different unit. Tyus Jones is playing. Um, and, and the second unit has to adjust to playing with a different point guard. And so there's there's a little bit of a domino effect in the first game that Dunn started. They played a, a Memphis Grizzlies team that was half D-League players uh, and, and was missing, I think, four key guys. Um, so you take that one out. You know, the Nuggets loss was disappointing and, and the Thunder loss was ugly. So, um, you know, I, I think the, the Rubio injury um, – taking away the fact that he's a top four player, top three player on the team, just the simple fact of forcing your backup point guard to start and your third string point guard to play point guard with the second unit three games into the season. I mean, that's going to have an impact as well. It feels like a little bit of ADHD, which you get with young teams where they yep. are, they're, they're really focused for a while. And then you get to halftime. Yep. And it's just my best theory as to what's happening at halftime is that they feel like they played a good half and they just can't stay focused they come out where the other team hits some hard, hits hard back in that second half. They start falling over each other to try to get it back. Maybe they, they get out of their rhythm. They start taking hero shots or playing one-on-one, not passing the ball around as much anymore. That's eminently fixable. They just got to get used to it. Yep. Uh, and, Agreed. I'm sorry, Agreed. and sorry, a couple, and a couple of stats that I can feed you otherwise to comment on that. Three-point percentage on the year. Uh, Minnesota is, the, is eighth in three-point percentage this year. Wow. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> a year ago, that would be hard to imagine that. We'll see if they can sustain it. I, I suspect that they won't, but it's going to be better than last year. Yeah. The problem is the three-point attempt rate is still 26th in the league, so they're not taking very many of them. Effective field goal percentage, they're 13th, and free throw rate, they're third. Those are some really good statistics. Uh, I, did, I was looking before the show here for uh, rebound percentage and some of those other advanced stats. I wasn't able to find them quickly, but uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be looking for those for the next podcast. Yeah, that's I you know I wouldn't have guessed that the free throw rate free throw rate had maintained that level because I feel like it dipped a little bit uh, more recently. But uh, it was so good early; they were drawing so many fouls early, um, first still early, but the first couple games of the season. Uh, and the three point percentage thing, yeah, I I think the rate of threes attempted will stay up there. But I mean, you even got some players that normally shoot better from three that aren't shooting that well. I mean, Brandon Rush, I I think. 
I'll pull it up here in a second, but I feel like his percent, yeah, he's only shooting 27% from three. Right. Felix is only shooting 23%. Both of those numbers are going to go up. Wiggins is shooting 55%. That's not going to stay there, obviously, but but I think it's I, I, he, it's an insanely small sample size, but given what we know from the spring, it does seem like that shot is improving for him. Levine at 45% isn't crazy. I mean, he's been shooting. You go back to January, Fox Sports North ran this stat the other night. I think it was on uh, – it might have actually been Saturday night um, that – since last January, he's fourth or fifth in the NBA in three-point percentage at 44% um, since January 1st of this year. So, yeah. uh, I mean, really, yeah, the only the only major outlier in, in, in a bad direction is, is Wiggins of, I guess, Towns is shooting 50%. Yeah, 8 of uh, 16. Uh, Towns has yeah. – uh, his, um, his three-point attempt rate went from 7.6% last year so far to 20% this year. And he's hitting yep. half of them, like we say. His troop shooting percentage is up a couple of points. It was very good last year, 59-61. PER is up from 22.5 to 26.4. Assist percentage way up 11 to 17. Yep. Turnovers down a couple of points. His net rating, 17, 122 to 105. That's quite good for those of you who don't follow that. Uh, and his steal percentage is even up. The only two things that's really down are his rebound percentage is way down because of his first couple of games. He just was not getting them. And his block rate is yep. down to some degree, but he's looking great so far. He is. And, and you know, for all the wringing of hands that there was, uh, maybe I don't know, maybe in the fantasy basketball world or something, mm-hmm. you know, there were some after the first three games, I guess it was, people were a little bit concerned about Towns. But I think it's just he's being asked to do some different things. He's being pulled away from the basket a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, if he's knocking down threes, if he stays in the high 30, low 40 percent range, um, he does need to get to the free throw line a little bit more, um, especially because he's such a good free throw shooter. But that'll come. I mean, he's going to play in the paint some more. I mean, um, he's being he's more efficient simply because he's shooting more threes. And as soon as he starts to draw a few more fouls, um, you know, he's he is what we thought he was. You know, um, he's not the problem, obviously. And you mentioned that Wiggins and Levine continue to hit from outside. This is one of the things that we talked about in our season preview is, was the after the All-Star break a fluke, particularly for Wiggins, because he'd never get close to what he did there. So far, it is not. Uh, They both actually look even better than last year. We'll see if it lasts. Hard to imagine it will quite at this level, but still. Uh, Wiggins is interesting, um, part because... I I watch him and he he looks. Be- First of all, he, he's better. He's looked better at shooting and ball handling. That's what we were really looking for from last year uh, compared to this year. He has not always taken a big step in the off season. It feels like he may have done that this time. But I don't know about you. Uh, I also thought he looked better on the glass. He's really trying to get in there, and he had seven rebounds that first game, but then he followed it up with zero in the next game. So his his advanced stats do not show any improvement either with his assists or his rebounds from last year, but he looks like he's better at least on the rebounding end. So I'm not sure if I, I guess I expect those to go up a bit as we go on. Yeah, I think it's it's coming and going. I think it's clear that um, that Thibodeau and the coaching staff got in his ear about that this offseason. Wiggins, we talked about this. He even mentioned it. I think unprompted in an interview that he needs to rebound the ball more, and so I'm sure he he just lapses into bad habits for stretches where he just kind of hangs on the perimeter or he's expending a lot of effort and energy on the offensive end and, and he forgets to rebound or chooses not to. But then when he asserts himself, he's pulling them down. Like the one game he had zeros across the board, the, the other game, what'd you say it was eight rebounds? I think he had seven in the first game. Seven. Yeah. Seven in the first game. And, and like if, if we could just not have those, you know, ups and downs, if it could just be a consistent five or six boards a game, I think everyone would be happy. Right. What do you what have you thought so far of Wiggins and Levine's defense? 
I think Levine is absolutely improved. Um, there's there's no question about that defensively. Um, and I mean, both on the ball. I mean, I I wish I could remember. I was actually at the the Timberwolves Thunder game on Saturday here in Oklahoma City, uh, and there was at one point I was I was telling my buddy that I was with. Hey, Zach Levine is is probably the most improved defender. And then right as I was saying that, he stopped somebody. It was a it was a bad, it was a mismatch situation. It was a bigger player for the Thunder, and he stopped them. Um, and he was guarding in the post um, when matched up against bigger players on switches. And and he's just it seems like it's the effort more than anything else. But also the smarts. He's knowing you know uh, how to fit into into Thibodeau's system, um, how to play the pick and roll in that system. And he's used in his length. And he's you know, the effort to recover and contest shots. You know, there's lapses, but, you know, it's been more team defense lapses than on Levine. Wiggins, I haven't really noticed much of a difference. He still doesn't always get into a defensive stance. Um, but, you know, he was naturally a better defender than Levine already. So I would say that they've both been, been pretty average defensively, uh, which is good. I mean, you know, you'd like you'd like Wiggins to be a little better, but I've been really impressed with Levine. Yeah, I, I think they're both they both look better, and I agree with you. Levine looks uh, more improved, and in, in the awareness yeah. in particular. Uh, Chris Dunn is another you know big issue here, especially with Rubio having only played two games. This is another guy that's that's really flashing some some brilliance. He's got he's got a steal rate of four point one percent. Ricky Rubio yeah. led the league last year three point five. Yeah. So they may have two, you know, two of the best stealing guards in the league. They're not playing at the same time, but there you are. So his steals, uh, his defense is looking really good, and I've been just really impressed with his finishing ability. I know he had that, uh, he had some good percentages in college, but there were questions about whether he'd be able to do it at the pro level. And I've watched a lot of his drives, and some of the shots he makes around the rim are really spectacular. So those are the things that that I notice as a big. Plus, he's obviously making tons of mistakes. He turns the ball over too much, but like what I've seen so far. Yeah, um, I think that's true. You know, the the he looked good against the Grizzlies, and and um, the you know Conley didn't play in that game. Uh, the the game that they won, of course, the home opener. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, but he, I would agree. I mean, defensively, he is he is very impressive. Um, there's been a couple lapses, obviously, but uh, as far as stealing the ball, uh, you know, being on top of that, uh, stealing the ball in the open floor, he's had a couple of impressive where he's helped down and stolen the ball. Uh, the biggest issue for me with him has been in transition. He hasn't generally made the right decision. Mm-hmm. He's had a couple bad takes, but he's had some pretty bad live ball turnovers where he's throwing instead of throwing a bounce pass or, you know, uh, stopping and, and letting the defender fly past or, you know, doing something a little bit uh, that's less dangerous. He's been he's been throwing he's been committing a live ball turnovers, throwing the ball away, uh, and it's led to points on the other end, you know, more than a couple times. Uh, you know, I think running the offense he's been okay. Uh, but really they're running the offense more through Wiggins and Levine than they are with Dunn when Dunn's on the floor. Uh, Dunn's basically dribbling the ball up the floor and then Levine goes and gets it. Uh, so it's it's pretty interesting if you watch a lot, especially a lot of out of plays that they run out of timeouts. They usually open with a couple of plays where um, Levine ends up with the ball in his hands and, and it's or Wiggins. Uh, the game, I think it was I forget which one now. Um, it was either the Memphis game or the Nuggets game, maybe both. Uh, Wiggins was essentially playing point guard at the end. Oh, it was the loss. It was the one when Rubio got hurt against the Kings. Wiggins played point guard for basically the whole fourth quarter, um, and. Ooh. 
you know, we can we can joke about Wiggins' assist rate and if that makes a lot of sense. But I think it's similar to what Flip Saunders did, making Wiggins play in the post as a rookie. I think Tibbs is trying to make Wiggins play with the ball in his hands more, so he has to facilitate a little bit. And he's then doing that like way, Sam when he's, did with Levine? Yeah, yeah, because, in a sense, yeah. Because Wiggins yeah. has six assists in five games. Yeah, well, he had zero until the game <laughs> when he had four, I think, right. or something like that. That's right. Uh, but I do think that, that Tibbs is trying to do that, to develop that with Wiggins and say, hey, look, I, he probably figures if he brings the floor up, the ball up the floor, he can't shoot it every time. What, uh, what, eventually he's going to have to pass it. The feeling I get from Wiggins is that he he's he really practiced a lot in his ball handling and some different moves over the summer, and he's yeah. really focused on trying those moves out and working them into his game. Sure. And he just is not able to do that and pay attention to the world around him as much as he'd like to. That, yeah, that's just think, my guess. So he does, I, that should come. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's mention the bench quickly here too, because that's been at times a nightmare, at times been okay. Like how uh, Thibodeau left them out on the floor for extended minutes. I believe it was in the Denver game when they were playing pretty well and getting getting them back yeah. into the game. But it's been mixed. I mean, you've had Shabazz has been pretty efficient. Uh, hasn't played a ton of minutes. Oddly, I I didn't look at his previous years, but his offensive rebounding percentage is well above his defensive rebound percentage. There are not a lot of players you could say that about. He's not turning the ball over. Um, But, you know, like I said, he's not a ton of minutes. Uh, Bielitsa is flashing a bit, but he still has those tentative threes. The end of that Denver game, I think the entire Wolves audience, including me, yelled at the screen when he he passed that, that open one up. Yeah, um, Rush has not contributed much. Aldrich a little bit, uh, and then you got uh, for a while it was done until Rubio got hurt, and then Tyus has been okay. But the bench has really not come together yet. No, and and I go back to the point about Rubio getting hurt and, and Dunt being taken away from the bench. Tyus was really good in in uh, it was the Denver game when him and Bielitsa stayed out on the floor, and, and Gorgie was on the bench with the fouls, four fouls, and uh, and they left Tyus out on the floor instead of Dunt. And but in the Thunder game, Tyus Jones didn't do much. Um, you know, I, I think I, I think I think the biggest effect on the bench has been the switch at point guard. Um, whether or not Tyus is better or worse than Dunn at this stage, it's too early to say. At this stage in their respective careers, but Dunn adds different elements than Tyus Jones does, um, and they're different players certainly. Uh, one of the issues that the bench unit has is defense. Um, that's when other teams have made their runs. Um, you know, usually initial runs can be against that, that second unit. Um, unless as even if, even when Aldrich is in the game, the perimeter defense isn't good when it comes down to Tyus Jones, Shabazz Muhammad and, uh, and Brandon Rush. It's just not, they're just not good perimeter defense defenders. And one of the advantages of having both Don and Rubio is you can always have, a, you know, a six, four point guard, six, four plus point guard, um, at the top of the defense and taking that away from the second unit is tough. Um, Bielitsa hasn't been good. He had the, the stretch where he was very good against the Nuggets, but take that out, and he hasn't been good at all this year. Yeah. Uh, and that's been frustrating, I think, to everybody. Uh, and like you said, Aldrich and Muhammad have had moments. You know, they've been okay in stretches. Uh, but yeah, it's been disappointing. I think I think it's going to take time to gel. I mean, um, it takes while for it takes a while for starting units to gel, and they generally play together for 20 plus minutes a game. A bench unit may only truly play together the five of them for you know six to ten minutes a game if that. So it's going to take a little longer, um, but I still think it's a good bench, um, and I think in the long run it's it's going to be you know once Dunn heads heads back to that second unit hopefully in a week or two, I think it'll be pretty good. 
Let's move on to the uh, the one signing last week. Gordy Jangman signed to a four-year, $64 million extension. He would have gone to a restricted free agency next year at this time, or excuse me, next summer, had they not done that. Um, what's your take on the on that contract? Was it reasonable? Uh, did, you know, should they have waited? Is this the right time to do it? Uh, that sort of thing. Yes, I, I very much liked the contract, still do. Um, I think it was good value. Um, you know, given given where the cap is now and where it will be in in future off seasons, um, I think this was very good value comparing it to some of the other deals that have been signed, both at this last deadline um, and over the summer. Uh, it's very comparable and and a better deal than than some. Um, I think it makes sense to lock him up now uh, before the season. It's one less thing you have to worry about. I think his you know worst. I think he is a starting caliber player on a playoff team. Uh, best case scenario is he's your third big. If you're if you're a probably if you're a finals contender, he's your third big and he can play both power forward and center. Um, so whatever that looks like, um, you know, in a couple years, if they're able to get somebody at at the four who fits a little bit better with Towns um, and Towns can play the five and then Gorgie comes off the bench and plays 28 to 32 minutes, you know, depending on matchups, et cetera. Um, I think that's, and I think he's suited for that role in today's NBA. He's a very good passer. He's a good help side defender. He's an outstanding mid range jump shooter and can shoot corner threes if needed. Um, that's a skill set that's really important. And for that price, um, and for what this team is and, and for how he's going to fit into, especially Tibbs defensive system, um, and their pick and roll defense. Um, I mean, if he can, if he can help Gorgie be a little more consistent in his pick and roll defense, then it could turn out to be a bargain, you know, in, in a year or two. I, I, you know, I agree. I'm not jumping up and down about it. I think it was yeah. reasonable. It's probably about yep. what he's worth, but that even that is probably a value given how much people are getting, uh, you know, on other teams for this right. sort of thing. I, I expected you'd probably have to pay a bit more for him. So from that point of view, it's worth it. And the, the team is including the offseason signings. They're not overpaying. And I really like that about the front office. Um, I'm not sure my, my problem with it, I guess, is that I'm not sure where he fits on a championship contending team. I don't think he's likely a starter on that team because I don't think he's going to get much better than he is now. Um, he's a great worker. He really fits in well. He can do a number of things. He can pass, he can shoot, he can, you know, a number of things. So, so that's all great. He's not a rim protector, uh, so, so much as a, a shot blocker who plays, he plays better defense now. I think that he's put the weight on. He can. He's about the only guy you can keep some of those Oklahoma City guys out of the paint. Um, so I like it. I don't love it, but we'll have to see, I guess. Um, my, my main question, and there may be a very good reason for this, but why didn't they front load the contract? Why did they make it a standard deal where it, it escalates, you know, the 4.55 percent every year rather than starting – with the biggest number and going down, presumably that would have been something Gordy would have liked to get more money up front, and that means that would mean the team is paying the biggest amount in the early years, makes his contract easier to trade later on, and the big numbers don't hit when they are dealing with uh, potential big contracts for Wiggins and Towns. Now again, maybe there's a good reason for that, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I saw you tweeted that the other day, and, and I, I I don't know. That's a good question. Unless there's some some obscure cap reason or something that well, that's why they didn't do it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe somebody will answer my tweet or I'll do it again. <laughs> um, this is a segue into, uh, you know, what I mentioned at the top of the show, 
I thought it might be fun to go back and look at the three years that Flip was the GM here um, before his untimely passing and uh, you know, take a trip down memory lane with, with the, the deals that he pulled off, the draft picks that he made, and see how those look in retrospect, even though we're, you know, for, for 2015, I think we're a little safe just because that was the town's draft, and we all have a pretty good feeling about that one. So what I've done is I tried to make a list of, of all the major moves and, uh, and, and tried to grade them, and I want to see if you, you're in agreement with me. Um, so let's start with the 2013 draft because Flip came on as GM about a month before that. So in that draft, uh, obviously we got Shabazz Muhammad at 14, Gorgie Jeng at 21. So I've got those two grades separately and then also the trade as a third grade where he okay. traded the number nine pick for 14 and 21. And then they had, what was it, 27, 28 that they sold? It was later in the first round. There was they had another pick. I think uh, they had they had twenty six. Was Andre Roberson? Right. So did they, so they sold? Did they sell that to Oklahoma City? I think so. Okay. So uh, nope. Uh, yeah, because they traded. Well, no, kind of. They traded Malcolm Lee and the rights to Roberson to the Warriors for a second round pick in cash. Malcolm so yeah. Lee, whatever happened to Malcolm Lee? Yeah, it was injuries. Yeah. It was a big thing. All right, so the, the trade itself, this is there's a lot going on here because because Flip wanted, by all accounts, he wanted Kentavious Caldwell Pope in that draft at nine, yep. who was taken at eight. And Flip yep. would have been right, he was right in his analysis there. I mean, Caldwell Pope has not been a superstar, but he's been quite good, and he probably would have been a good pick at, at, at nine had he been there. Yeah. Uh, he was also right about Trey Burke not being the right pick. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, he he. What I wanted him to do is take C.J. McCollum there, and he did not. So that was the big miss. So I I gave that like a B minus that trade, uh, and maybe we should I should go through the other two as well uh, yep. just to make to tie a bow on all of it. Shabazz, I thought at the time it was an F. I think it turned out to be a C. He he exceeded my expectations. But he also did not take a Tenacumpo and uh, Dennis Schroeder, who was at 15. You could argue about Schroeder versus Muhammad, I suppose. Uh, and then Gorgie was a good pick at 21, which I give a B to because Rudy Gobert was there at 27. And as you mentioned, Roberson at 26. So I think we went into that draft thinking, well, this is a really bad draft. And yep. it, it was at the top, but in the middle, it was pretty good. Yeah. And you know, this gets down to what do you actually expect of a GM? I do not expect them to be perfect. Everybody's going to make some mistakes. So I don't know. I, I give him a B on this draft overall. I don't think it deserves an A. Yeah, I, I would. I would maybe be a little bit higher on it than you, but but maybe you know, I, if you're just ranking the the night overall and what he got out of the draft, I'd call it maybe a B plus, mostly because because they did have multiple picks mid to late first round and. Well, they packaged a couple of them, or I guess they packaged, or I guess they traded the nine to get two players in the middle of the draft. There were so many good players in the middle. You already mentioned Giannis, um, but Stephen Adams at twelve, I guess, um, mm -hmm. wouldn't take given the Wolves roster at the time, probably. But Catavius uh, Caldwell Pope. What's What's really interesting to think about is is he Flip for sure wanted to pick him at number nine, mm -hmm. and the word was that that he that he didn't know what to do. And so he just picked Trey Burke because he was next on the board uh, nice. thinking to himself, I don't really want Trey Burke. And then kind of came down, it came down to it when he, 
he didn't have a trade in place when he took him, I guess is, is kind of what people were saying at the time. Um, what if what if Detroit doesn't take Caldwell Pope and that's who the Wolves draft and then you don't have Gorgie Jang or Shabazz? Uh, you know, you have, then, but then you probably have then is Caldwell Pope and Gobert. Yeah, I suppose because what what would they have? It, yeah, because they would have the twenty six picks. Unless Jang had still been you know been on the board then. And, and yeah, that's a good been, point. You know, that's a good point because then if Gobert's still there, they wouldn't sell twenty six. They would take the second player. Yes. They just didn't want. They just didn't want three rookies. Yeah, uh, all they did. That, was, that's a good point. All they did was move up those five picks. So when people say they got the fourteen and the twenty one, well, I guess, but I don't know that getting the tw- moving from twenty six to twenty one really helped them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, and obviously there's so many variables, but but if you if you assume that Caldwell Pope's there, uh, which he would have been if Detroit hadn't taken him. Then they would still have the 26 pick, and if Gobert hasn't already been drafted, which he went at 27, then would you rather have Gobert and Caldwell Pope or Shabazz and Gorgie? And I think the answer is Gobert and Caldwell Pope. So that's a really interesting, yeah, yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it. And also CJ McCollum, I also wanted them to take him at nine. Um, we both would have been right, um, <laughs> but you know, at the, at the time. And even at the time, I wasn't sure that I loved it. It turned out pretty well. It could have even been better. I think that's a fair analysis. Um, so B, B plus-ish seems about right. Uh, yeah. And we're right at about the – the. we're just now beginning to look at this draft and feel like we have a good handle on who's good and who's not. Uh, it gets dicey once you start looking at drafts that were just you know two drafts, so two drafts removed. Uh, but this one, I mean, yeah, the, the top of the draft was pretty brutal. Um, but it was it was a good draft, you know. All, when it was all said and done, I guess three years later. Yeah, look at the top of that draft. It, it, it happens once in a while. You get those top ten, and maybe two guys pan out yeah. as being good. And that was the Anthony Bennett draft. So yeah, th- this this looks like it might be one of them. You also had one of those. The the, the Kawhi Leonard draft was that way. I think he was at sixteen or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and not to turn this into a twenty thirteen draft retrospective, but of that top ten, there's. Um, you know, the jury's still out on maybe a couple of those guys. Nerlens Noel probably due to injury. Otto Porter seems to be getting it together. Um, but other than that, you know, Anthony Bennett, not good. Um, you know, Oladipo, I think is, is something. Cody Zeller is a valuable player. But as far as plus players, you know, Caldwell Pope's really the only slam dunk, uh, at eight as far as, uh, you know, a, a contributing player on a, on a contending team. Um, Oladipo certainly probably will be with yeah, the those, Thunder. Yeah, those are the guys with McCollum. Um, and, yeah. And Oladipo yep, and just, did just sign a, an extension, although it was nowhere near a max. Uh, it's still, it's still yep. a good number, but, you know. Yeah, I think he's a good player, and I think he's going to be very good for a long time. I was expecting more faster from him, but I like him. He got more than Jeng did, I guess. I think he's, what, four years 84 versus Jeng's four years 24? That's what you'd expect, I guess. Yeah, yep. All right, so uh, you know, this is also the Lorenzo Brown draft. I didn't really grade second-round picks. Those are gravy, basically. Um, you also had in the offseason the, the Pekovich extension, which yep. had he been healthy, you know, at this point it would look like a pretty good deal. Uh, there was yep. ample reason to think that he might not be healthy, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to grade. I didn't put a letter grade on that one. It was yeah. mostly I mean, they had to do it. Yeah, basically. It, it would have been hard to do otherwise. The, the only thing I would say is that I, I – it would have been it would have been better if they had if they had um, uh, insisted on four years instead of five. But otherwise, it's hard to fault them too much. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, the off season. They signed Chase Budinger. I put meh in, in parentheses for that one. It did didn't work out so great, uh, but didn't cost a whole lot. So you know, what, actually remind me, did they trade a pick for that, or was that a free agent signing? Uh, 
they had traded for him the year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, they'd given up. They had the 16th pick, I believe it was. It was either the 16th or 18th, traded it to Houston straight up for Budinger because Adelman wanted Budinger. Um, so that was a con it, that was a con move. I mean, con driven by Adelman move yeah. um, because they didn't want another rookie. And and actually, I I maintain. I mean, that was the that was a lost season, right? That was the forty win mm-hmm. season that that should have been better. Well, actually, there might have been two years in there. But um, but did you remember the fourth game of the season? Uh, Torres meniscus yep. in, at at Chicago and has never been the same player. And he was. I maintain that that was a good trade uh, because if you get a player pre injury, Chase Budinger was was better than the player you'd expect to draft at 18. Um, and, and it was just a bad, a fluke that he got hurt. And they figured if he could still shoot close to 40%, he's worth what they pay him, you know, five million a year, five and a half million a year. And, uh, you know, ended up not working out. Uh, the other offseason signing was Kevin Martin. This is after he already had, he had a verbal agreement with JJ Redick, which would have been a, a, a better signing. Yeah. For Martin, I guess I gave it a B. Uh, he was at least a very good offensive player for them. So, yeah, uh, that was also, and you're probably going to get to this, Corey Brewer, too. I didn't. Did I miss that? Yeah, they signed him the same day as Budinger. Well, I can't say that I'm perfect here, so. <laughs> yeah, okay, so uh, it was an active offseason. They had a few slots to fill, with it, which is which you normally get, I suppose, with uh, uh, any sort of GM or coaching change. This is before Flip stepped in as coach. This was Adelman's last year, though, so. Interesting. Okay, so, uh, you know, a decent year in 2013. 2014, the draft there, uh, Flip took a swing for the fence with, with Zach Levine, and, and he hit a home run. Uh, that is, that's a big A, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we're still, the jury's still out, not in entirely on that, but that's what it looks like so far to me. Uh, and Glenn Robinson's the third was the second round pick, which, again, I, I'm not going to put a letter grade on it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and it is still so early to, to grade Levine. And after the first year, I would have given it a solid, you know, C plus because Levine wasn't a good rookie, but he showed some flashes, and, and we knew pretty quickly how hard of a work he, worker he was and how badly he wanted to be great. And with the improvement he showed last year, even even running the point, he was a little better. But then the leap he made when he was moving shooting guard, and we can argue till you know forever. Um, on whether or not it was good to force him to play so much point guard, and if in the long run that's going to help his point guard skills, if, if you will, and he'll be a better player for it, or if it was a waste of time. Um, but, you know, he certainly looks through five games this year like he can be a legitimately impressive starting shooting guard in the NBA, you know, potential all-star here in a few years. Later in the year, they trade a first-round pick for Adrian Payne. Got to give that one an F. And what's really amazing to me is that by by accounts that I've heard that uh, Levine and Payne were very close in how they were ranking them. Levine went 13, Payne went 15. That's yeah, that's hard to yeah. see in retrospect. It's scary. Yeah. Um, it's scary that that that, that could have been what happened if, if Levine had been gone. Would they have taken Adrian Payne? Who knows? It's <laughs> scary. Uh, and then, of course, you had in the offseason the big uh, Kevin Love trade, traded Love for Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, and uh, – and, Sure, and a first-round pick for Wiggins, Bennett, and Thaddeus Young. You know, just the way that it was handled in terms of waiting for the right time to make that deal. Yeah, they lucked into it with with LeBron James going back to Cleveland and making that trade happen. It doesn't happen without without uh, James's move. 
but still, he waited for the right time to make it, and he made a really good trade. I gotta give that, you know, somewhere between a B and an A. I have a tough time with that because uh, Bennett was basically a throw-in. I think it was worth the gamble to take, yep. and Thaddeus was too, and he turned into Kevin Garnett later. Yeah, and and I think the the Thaddeus for Garnett trade is still it's such a weird circumstance because who knows? It feels like they should have gotten more for Thaddeus Young, which would have in turn then made. This trade, uh, when they got Thaddeus Young, worth even more. Uh, but, you know, we, uh, we we don't know what else was on the table. And the Garnett, you know, Garnett was apparently important last year for the development of Towns. And, you know, it's the whole uh, – at the time, I remember, really, we debated this, uh, if, if it made sense. I'm jumping a little bit ahead. But I think it helps grade this trade if, if we think about what they ended up getting for Thaddeus Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the long run, yeah, I mean, it was a trade that needed to happen, and, and Flip played it right at the time. I wasn't sure he was, um, and and yes, there was a gambler's mentality, and, and there was some luck there. Uh, but I think he gave himself the best opportunity to, to make the most out of it. Agree. I think he understood the dynamics of the situation pretty well. Uh, he also, in that off second off season, extended Ricky Rubio's contract in a very friendly way. I got to give him an A minus for that. That was a, that was a good deal he signed, and he, he held out for the to the last minute on that in a way that made both parties happy. And uh, he named himself head coach as well, which I think is by and large worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and and those were you know the Rubio move I think was pretty much uh, most people thought that, that was a great move. Um, myself and everybody except his agents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about Rubio's agent negatively for a long time. Um, and the Flip Saunders naming himself coach, we didn't like at the time. Um, but it seems like he was a really good coach for Wiggins to have as a rookie, uh, for Levine to have as a rookie. Um, you know, I, I think that in retrospect, it's hard to to get too upset about it. Um, I, I think that given what that team was, you know, he was a pretty good coach for it. Yeah. Um, the uh, Of course, now the biggest deal of all of them in this group, trading Troy Daniels and Mo Williams for Gary Neal in 2015. Big move. Maybe we could skip over that one. Uh, we met, we've already brought up Thad Young for Kevin Garnett. That one is, it's so weird to, to gauge, right? Because yep. it was done mostly for intangible reasons. It worked yep. out perfectly with Carl Anthony Towns, who they didn't know they have at the time. So it would be a great influence on him. He obviously helped the defense. He helped um, excite the fan base. That game, the first game back, was an amazing sight to behold with just the crowd reaction to that. Yeah, That's going to pay dividends long term. Was it a good basketball move? That's, that's, very, that's much different. I mean, Young is a better player certainly now, and he's obviously got more years left in him. But did he fit with this team in the long run? Probably not. Yep. So it's it's hard for me to gauge that one, but I'm gonna you know I'm gonna give it a plus if you like. Yeah, no, I I, I really like that East Young, and I think he's he's a he's a really nice player, and I feel bad that he's been in so many negative situations. I think the Pacers should be pretty good this year, which is good for him. Uh, but he do, he wouldn't fit the current roster uh, perfectly, and he didn't really fit perfectly then either. Uh, and you know, like I said before, it's it's a little frustrating because you feel like they could have gotten more for him. Uh, but given what Garnett ended up giving to the organization, it you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where at the time you were like, man, is this really the right thing to do? And looking back on it, you know, could it have turned out better? Yeah, but but it's so hard to say what you know what that alternative would have been. 
and it wasn't it's not like it was a train wreck. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And then a little bit more luck. You get the number one pick and turns into uh, probably one of the best players drafted in 10 years, Carl Anthony Towns. And at 24, you trade up a couple of uh, your your uh, your, uh, your early second rounders for the 24th pick to take Tyus Jones. Towns obviously going to be great. Jones, you know, who, who knows at this point? He, he's, right. he's shown some good things, but he doesn't seem like he fits in the long-term plans of the team. But, you know, you got a different coach, so that was hard to predict as well. Maybe he would have fit in with a different coach. Jury's still out on that one. Yep, yep, jury's still out. You know, the, who knows with the Tyus Jones thing. Um, I still think he turns into a good backup point guard, whether for the whether for the Wolves or somebody else. Um, but, man, the biggest move of all was, was the, uh, the ping-pong balls. And then also, let's not forget uh, that it's pretty well documented that Flip Saunders – liked Jaleel Okafor even up until after they won the lottery, uh, thought he was going to be taking Okafor at number one, uh, but give him credit that he continued to do his homework and talk to people and ultimately ultimately swung completely the other way, and it was Towns, no question about it. Um, we've heard from a number of different people. Um, even Jim Peterson said something about it on, on TV at one point uh, this year that Okafor at the time was the guy that Saunders really liked. Uh, and I remember you and I had some pretty, pretty close to panicked talks about what happens if he takes Okafor. <laughs> you know, this this yeah. this this wouldn't be the right thing to do. And and Saunders, you got to give Saunders credit. He he did his his job and he figured out what he thought was going to be best. And obviously, we talked a little bit maybe last podcast about the role that in-person interviews probably played in, in individual workouts um, and getting to meet Towns and see him, you know, up close. Um, and he did the right thing. Just, did the right thing. Just like it did with Garnett in '95. Yeah. All right. Well, this coming week we've got uh, we've got a back-to-backs after a very slow schedule. I don't know if, if anybody any team has played fewer games so far than the Wolves have, but uh, tomorrow uh, Tuesday they've got they're at the Nets, and then Wednesday they're at uh, Orlando for the Magic. Uh, they got to get at least one of those, and hopefully two. Uh, Saturday, they're home against the Clippers. Clippers are playing great. They've actually got, the, the, I think, the highest point differential in the league, so they're playing really well. Uh, then you've got the Lakers, Hornets, and Sixers at home. So some eminently winnable games in here other than that Clippers game. Maybe. Yeah, and, and just real quickly looking at the at the standings, well, actually looking at their uh, – if you just look at basketball reference at the top of the page, they have expected win-loss, which is a Pythagorean yeah. win-loss. Uh, and it it has the wolves at three and two instead of one and four based on their point differential. And then you look at, yeah, yeah. And you, and you go, well, that, that's certainly part of it, but also three of their four losses have been, I think one possession games. Yes. Uh, So yeah. And and you look at, if you just look at the standings, they're the only team um, that's, that has a losing record, or I guess the only team that's not in the top eight in the West with a positive point differential. Which, um, going and if back you, to that 40 and 42 team with Kevin Love on it, same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and man, I hope we're not seeing <laughs> version two of that. I don't think we are, but yeah. we don't know. Uh, but, I mean, if you just rank point differential, uh, they're eighth in the West. Uh, if you take out win-loss and rank point differential. So, obviously, the, like you said, the big win against Memphis was huge. But they also had a huge loss against the Thunder. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I think it goes to show that there has been some bad luck in those close losses. Um, some of that's going to even out. They're going to get better in the third quarter. Uh, the bench will get better. Rubio will come back. You know, we haven't heard any updates, but they were saying somewhere between one and three weeks were kind of the reports, and it's been nearly one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully a week to ten days from now he's back. Um, 
and, and, and yeah, I mean, you listed some pretty winnable games. I mean, they have to beat Brooklyn on Tuesday. Um, that's, that's an important one to win because it's going to be, it's always tough on the road second night of a back to back. But, you know, if, if by the end of November, I think a, a 500 record is realistic given where they're sitting now. And, and I think we'd all feel good about that. Uh, go back and look at the Oklahoma City Thunder the year when they had their big turnaround. They had a losing record, uh, I think midway through December and finished strong. Uh, and this kind of feels like that. It feels like uh, I'm not saying that they're suddenly. I mean, I guess the Thunder were the eight seed that year, so it's possible. But I could see the Wolves being very, very good come January, February, March, um, and, and it might just take a little while to get there. And hopefully, they pick up some of these easy wins so they can stay in the conversation for playoffs. They're at least fun to watch. Um, that'll do it yes. for another. That'll do it for another No Frills Wolves podcast. Uh, ben, thanks. Uh, good to talk to you. And we'll do it again next time. Thank you, sir.